Hands down, one of the best parts of being a kid was pouring a big bowl of cereal first thing in the morning. But these days, I'm really aiming to cut down on all those carbs, and especially the sugar. So I've mostly given up cereal. That's where Magic Spoon comes in. Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and there's only 140 calories a serving. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and the pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. Magic Spoon is amazing, simply put. It tastes exactly like regular cereal from childhood, but unlike those sugary calorie bombs, it's super nutritious. It's delicious but healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings. Go to magicspoon.com BGA to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code BGA at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash BGA and use the code BGA to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 385, BGA anniversary episode, our ninth year. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you nine years of episodes. All right, everyone. Happy anniversary. It's nine years of BGA. And again, my friends, we're so glad that you have joined us each and every week. And here we are nine years later. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is, I, you know, every year we do this, I'm like, I can't believe, oh, and wow, like six years, seven years, but nine is a particularly strong one, I think. And I'll probably, I know I'll say this next year, because that'll be 10 years. But that's part of why nine is so strong. Because I'm like, we're this close, like, (laughs) This close to 10 years and we're starting our 10th year i know right now, right now after this episode so <laughs> that's kind of crazy right like we started this kind of on a lark we thought it'd be fun we had like we had a lot of plans sure and it's been a lot of fun and we've met a lot of people we've done a lot of crazy things but nine years whoa <laughs> like, that's a long time it's been quite incredible and it's it's been and endless numbers of ups and downs, lefts and rights, you know, step forward, step back, jump up, jump down, do the hokey pokey and turn yourself around because that's what it's all about. But if you've been with us at any amount of time or if you've journeyed back to the catalog of episodes, 
you have heard literally everything. I mean, this this has been our lives. This has been our connection to all of you out there. This has been our love of board games, uh, the friendships we've developed along the way, the challenges we've dealt with, especially the last several years, and how hopefully we've developed a community that has endured despite everything and has brought more great games to the table. So, I mean, we're just, we're thrilled. We're thrilled to be here. We're thrilled we've gotten through, especially these last couple of years, which have been incredibly difficult. And we've even we've been so amazed that you've joined us throughout this whole journey. And we can't thank you all enough for downloading, listening, letting people know about the episodes, uh, jumping on whatever particular podcast that you listen to or YouTube channel, like, subscribe, give us reviews. Because again, it it is the life essence of what we do. And especially huge, immense shout out to all the Patreon backers out there. Honestly, sometimes it's just amazing to know that you care enough to support this because without all of you out there and patreon.com slash BGA, we wouldn't be able to do this. So thank you so much for helping us bring all of these great people together. Thank you all for your support. Please continue to spread the word. Please continue to rate, review, and all the other social media stuff that has now been programmed into our brain because it makes a difference. We love to hear back from you. That really is honestly the biggest part of this. So those comments on our question of the week, the comments on the reviews, the Patreon backing, the emails, everything else. Sometimes we come across publishers and designers and they say they already knew about us because all of you out there have spoken about us. It just it it just makes our day, our week, our month, our nine years. It makes our nine years, right, Anthony? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Like there's so many good memories over the last nine years, but those are always at the very top. Is yes. anytime someone says anything, <laughs> or like I've been listening to you guys for XYZ. I love when you talked about ABC or yeah. These people told me I should listen to you, and therefore now I'm talking to you. Like those are such cool moments, uh, which we can't manufacture. We just no. make content and hope people listen to it. Sure, um, that's all you guys. So if you're out there listening and in, in any capacity, that's awesome. And thank you. Yeah, and again, if if you have not, please check out boardgamersanonymous.com. Anthony has put an incredible amount of work into the website, and it catalogs. So much of what we've done over the years, all the different types of podcasts, video content, streaming that we've done, charity events that we've done, and articles that Anthony has written over so many years now at this point, and all the other podcasts that we've we've done uh, beyond BGA that have gone on the wayside, but they are still somewhat available in some place and time. So if you'd like to hear some of that older stuff, still very good, because I think originally, Anthony, when we talked about doing the podcast... We really wanted to support the board game community, the board game store that we were at, and everyone who's listening on making great purchases. And that's always been a really fun thing, too, that we hear from so many people that they purchase games because we've talked about it or recommended it. Or even sometimes when we didn't like a game, but it was intriguing enough and we were honest enough that they decided to check it out. I mean, that's really what we're here to do. Yeah, yeah. I think one of my favorite comments we've ever gotten was and uh, forgive me I'm, I'm sure you're listening but I, I can't remember the name but it was somebody like after we went on our galaxy trucker tirade like <laughs> our first galaxy trucker tirade yeah you're like i've discovered my favorite game because of 
the specific things like we didn't like the game yes. the version this was like seven years ago at this point uh-huh. but we went into great detail on why we didn't like the game yes and that helped somebody discover the game which is so much fun like it's the best yeah like we still didn't like that game but uh knowing that how we described it the interactions that we had the descriptions of the game like meant something to other people and then they discovered it because of that that's fantastic yeah and it's been nice because over the years too the board game industry has changed so much. So we've been able to report on those changes and developments throughout the way, some good, some bad board game media has changed dramatically over the years. And we reported on that as well. And a lot of, again, like you mentioned, Anthony, some of the the good comments that we've gotten back over the years is that, you know, it was, it would have been very easy to just completely sell out. You know, because again, this is a very expensive thing that we're doing to do the podcast, to produce all the content. And there was so many opportunities just to be like, sure, we will shill for X, Y, and Z at the expense of the people listening because we got to make a living. And I have no animosity to people who do that because they have to make a living. But I've been so thrilled and happy for the support, especially the Patreon backers, because We've been able to be honest, truthful throughout the entire time. That feels good for us. That feels ethically good that we get to promote or like or don't like something and build a a legitimate community that has lasted nine years plus now at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, I mean, this has always been a labor of love and it's always been out there for all our friends who are listening. So, Thank you so very much for making all this possible for what you've done, big or small. Just listening means an incredible amount to us, especially all those people around the world. And it's it just meant everything. You see all the different countries pop up that people are listening. Everyone of different backgrounds, races, creatures, cultures, orientations, like it's just everybody. And that's what really what we want to have happen. We want to include everyone at the table. And sometimes people are a little odd about that but and we get a little pushback but really grow the board game industry grow the number of people at the table bring people who are underrepresented at the table because there's so much fun to be found at the table together that's been our message all of these years and we're so glad that you've joined us here each and every week so we have a great episode for you we are going to talk about the all the wonderful things that we've done over this particular last year. Talk about the greatest episodes and games and previews and reviews and all that kind of fun stuff. So if you haven't gotten a chance, or maybe we can shine a light on some of those games, on some of those episodes. So maybe you want to jump back and check those things out. And again, we'd love to hear from you because this is your podcast. Let us know what you want us to do and what you want to hear because that's why we're here. All right, Anthony. So with all of that love being said, let's actually get on to the episode. So always, of course, we want to talk about board games, right? That's what we're here for, I think. <laughs> you never know these days. It could be like a, a just gigantic twist out of nowhere. Right. But <laughs> when we talk about board games, we talk about the board games that our friends love and, and talk so much about at the table. So Anthony... It's been nine years. What's what's our question of the week? Question of the week. Uh, all right. So I asked everybody this time around, 
what's a genre or mechanic you'd like your favorite game designer to explore further? Mm -hmm. So, you know, early on when I got into the hobby, I kind of got in this mode of, I like this designer and therefore Mm -hmm. I like everything they produce. Yes. That often, like when you are talking about fiction, it's often Mm -hmm. the case. Like if you really like an author, you tend to like most of what they write unless they go super off book. When you like a director, you tend to like most of what they make. Board games, sometimes that's the case, sometimes it's not, because game designers, they might have an idea that's super, super far to the different direction of where they were on the game that you fell in love with. But not always, and there there are some common threads. So I thought it was an interesting idea. Like, what games would you love to see, or what genres would you love to see a game a designer you really like kind of tackle? Um so we get some funny answers. Uh, Vigard says you'd love to see Vitalis Erda tackle dice drafting. So, mm. you know, there's there's a lot of amazing dice drafting games, yeah. a lot of amazing dice worker placement games. I don't Lacerda games sometimes have dice in them, but not often. And usually it's to serve one particular mechanic out of like 11 in a game. So it's never the core mechanic of a Lacerda game. Uh, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Willie says Alexander Fister is my favorite designer. Drafting is my favorite mechanism. I would love to see Fister explore drafting. And Very cool. Josh mentions that Tybor the Builder kind of does that a little bit, but sure. Tybor the Builder is also not a very good game. So <laughs> this is me editorializing. That that wasn't Josh. Um, so Tybor, yes, he has dabbled in it a little bit, but not a great experience. Um, and then Matt mentioned Stefan Feld tackling a 4X game, which wow. I think there's been rumors of that for a while, and it, it just has manifested. Yeah. Uh, I know they, he said he was working on one like four or five years ago, and then mm-hmm. all these re-releases of his old stuff through Queen started happening, um, which, to be fair, he's probably making a lot more money off of. But <laughs> um, I would also like to see a Stefan Feld 4X game. Uh, the, the examples that I gave... Um, also, Stefan Feld, but like a roll and write, I thought mm. would be really interesting because he's Mr. Point Salad and roll and writes are, by their definition, typically point salad games. Uh, and then Uwe Rosenberg, I would love to see his take on a cooperative game. Um, you know, like a true, true co op, not a game with a co op mode, but just taking like that farming mechanism and having everybody work together on the farm. Like Stardew Valley, but Uwe Rosenberg style. Yeah, no. Again, one of one of the, I'm, I know I'm going to regret saying this because this goes against everything in gaming <laughs> that I don't want to do. But what I've recently, I think more than ever, is every once in a while, and again, it's like I know it's like it's like not having a vice, like being being like a Euro gamer, a Marathrash gamer. I can have games. I can have a great game time. I could sit down and play these games. But I never really have to kind of worry about like spending my every dime, my life savings. Uh, I mean, I do own a few board games, but I, I, I'm not a CCG gamer. But every once in a while, I see those blind boxes, those pulls, those gravity feeds and things like that. And I'm like, ah, there's just something about that kind of gambling mechanic, you know, random pack, opening something at the table and playing it. I would like to see some sort of CCG, but from a heavy kind of 
game mechanic. Maybe a, this is sound crazy. A splatter CCG. I, ju- I just said a, a weird thing. Those two words should never be next to each other. <laughs> I don't know. Splatter, they, they just do whatever they feel like. So why this not? Is, right? I, I, th- this is what I'm saying. This is exactly what they should do because they do the really obscure titles, heavy thought, thinked out games. I just want something that I can collect. I want something I could throw on the table and the cards on the table don't need to be like magic cards because magic's already there. No, no one's going to beat magic and it doesn't have to be Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh. They're all already there. I just like, it could be like really cool, you know, farmers or like 18th century diplomats, or it could be robber barons. I don't care. Right. I, I would just like to play something that was like, cards that maybe not were always about the gorgeous artwork but they were like oh my god i can't believe you have that card it's a plus two to engineering (laughs) you know like something at that level so because you know every once in a while you do want to have some fun you do want to play that situation where it's like what random pack am i going to get you know so yeah splutter if you could if you could pull off a ccg i'm I'm in like i I know you know people will blind purchase your games right because they're doing that now Sure. I will blind purchase packages of cards that somehow work out to be like some magic esque game, but it's a economic euro farming builder game. I don't know. Do a thing. <laughs> the only problem with that idea, and I love every part of it, um, uh-huh. is that that game, those packs, will cost thirty seven dollars a piece. <laughs> well, I know it's splatter. <laughs> So like there's 700 cards in the game you get four cards in a pack they're 37 dollars. enjoy <laughs> yeah yeah i could see that. I, I look i didn't say it was a healthy idea i didn't say it was a good idea i just said i have an idea because are you playing last will in real life are you trying to get oh rid of my god that would be fantastic jeez. <laughs> yeah. oh, look sometimes you want to lean into the obscure problematic nature of your hobby in a healthy but yet financially you know irresponsible way you know and and at a certain point you can only upgrade your components so far okay like we're at the point where you want to buy coins for your game and and the coins that you're buying for your game cost more than the actual coins of your own currency so i think we've already plateaued out of that you know so i need something new so yes Yes, I will. I will. T- I will eventually buy a six hundred dollar gravity feed of a blind booster pack and get twelve copies of, I don't know, farmer who can you know farm two plots of land at a time and just be like, got it, yeah, yeah I got so, it. So anyhow, nice. well, I look, man, it's been nine years. I think. I think one splatter hears that we're nine years in, they'll start to listen. You know. All right. Get on it, guys. Yeah. You did back Horseless Carriage, right? Oh, day one with zero information about what the game was. All right. See? See, they owe us one. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Splatter owes us one. That's that's it. That's all yeah. I'm saying. I will say now that I know what the game is, I'm more excited, though. Oh, like, okay. It does look very good. I mean, Splatter. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Maybe we should have board game insurance, right? Maybe that should be the other thing and be like, you know, like, I'm going to back this game on Kickstarter. I'm not sure it's really good. It's like, yeah, it's like life insurance, but it's for board games. Well, you know, you, you pay a buck in, and then if it's a bad game, we'll bail you out of it. Or you you, you back something from Splatter. I don't know. 
<laughs> we, need, we need some support in the industry. That's all I'm saying, kids. All right. Well, thank you all for responding again. We really do appreciate it. Love seeing those responses pop up on Facebook, Instagram. And again, you could always find all of our social medias everywhere. If you'd like us to hit up a social media that you are frequently, let us know. BoardGamersAnonymous.com is the website where you will always find all of our links for the great things that are happening. All right, Anthony. So that leads us on to our feature review this week. And for our feature review this week or this year or nine years in, we're doing our anniversary episode where we take a look back at the past year and we take a look back at all the fun that we had. So you looked back at the last year. What did you think about the last year of BGA? It's been a weird year. And I I know that we said that last year and probably the year before that. (laughs) Um, Well, to be fair. It was a weird. It's been a yeah. weird. I, well, this is the third the third anniversary episode affected by COVID and everything that comes with it. So, it's been a weird few years. Um, but for me, like I moved away from my game group, uh, but much closer to you. So we've been able to game, which is there you go. Something we've done outside of conventions in years. Mm-hmm. Um, I started teaching, and that took up most of my time. But then also, I spent a tremendous amount of time reading about, researching, writing about board games and not necessarily playing them because I was teaching a course on board games. So from like a board gaming perspective, it's been a really interesting year where I feel like I've gotten a lot closer to the hobby, a lot more engaged, a lot more, I don't know, thoughtful on what games can do, what they do do, what the games in my collection mean to me, but I haven't necessarily played them very much. So, um, Thankfully, not a ton of great games have come out in the last year, so I don't feel like I've missed a ton, although maybe I have because I haven't played them all. Uh, But I've certainly spent a lot of time thinking about writing about and talking about here on the podcast games and what they can do. So it's been a really interesting and I like exciting for me year for all those reasons. Um, And I think it's reflected, too, in like what we're going to talk about today, like the, the different episodes that we're flashing back to, because this is the type of stuff that both of us are, are thinking about and talking about more and more. Um, not, not, not just the hotness, although sure. hotness in here. Oddly enough, I, and I think I mentioned to you that this at one point, this block of like 300 some odd episodes, like 50 has a feel like you hit 50 episodes in, in podcast land. And it's like, you're solid. Like you're in, you know, you're going to make it. Everyone who's in the industry is like, congratulations, you hit 50. That That's 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 a milestone. You hit 100, you've done something extraordinary. 100 episodes of a podcast, amazing, fantastic, especially if it's more than like a 15-minute episode. Ours are, I think, on average about an hour. You hit 150, keep going. We see you. You hit 200, outstanding. Very few people do this. And again, if you look back at the, like the statistics of people start podcasts and how long they go, it's not even close to that. I think it's like under 50. You hit 250. Now you're, you're, you're out there with the big boys. Now that this is something damn impressive. And then after 250, like we hit 300, I was like, "Mm -hmm." you hit 350, you know, like, (laughs) and it's just like, I don't know why it was the 300s. And then like, I thought about it in part, obviously this has been, you know, some of the pandemic years, so gaming has been almost impossible to do. 
you know, in a meaningful way, because back in the day, like we used to go, I don't like three or four days a week would be some level of gaming, whether it was, you know, solo gaming or was gaming with the groups. Now that's radically completely changed and the industry has changed and everything's been bad and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of makes sense that the 300 episodes were like, but the nine year mark of doing the episodes and practically every week of doing the episodes has been something special. So I am incredibly happy to talk about that. And when I was looking at this year of, and we'll talk about this in a second, this year, the features have been so good that I was like, it was hard to pick one. Mm. And then it was like, all right, maybe I'll pick two, but I could have easily picked five or six this year. No lie. Like some years I'm just like, oh, that was one really cool creative feature, but that was it. This year felt like the features were radically different and creative in a way that we've never done them before. So that was my kind of weird takeaway. As I look back at the episodes, I was like, oh, wow, those are really some different features you normally don't see. It's not just the top 10 this, or you like this game, or this is a hot game. It was like really innovative, interesting stuff to talk about with everybody out there. So I was really excited for the creativity that came out of the contemplation that we were forced into and obviously looking towards more great years of getting games to the table. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's an outstanding year for that part. So yeah. And looking forward to, I guess, the, like, as you said, now this, we're moving on. <laughs> now we're on the 10th year. We're getting old, man. How did this happen? We didn't know. <laughs> when you reach that point with your podcast where you can start like measuring epics of your own life by where you were when you were recording, <laughs> like, huh, that's an interesting reflection point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so your, your gaming collection and your game playing becomes autobiographical. Right? Yeah. Whew, that's been a thing. All right, so let's start off again, just like our episodes always start off. We we talk about our acquisition disorders. Our for those if you, if this happens to be your first episode, welcome. Our acquisition disorders are again games that we want to get to the table. Those are games that we are really, I guess, have FOMO about. I guess is the, is the best term. Like we really are like just laser focused on these games. Maybe these games are super hot. Maybe they're super obscure. Maybe we've been waiting for those games for quite some time. It's just something about these games that we have not played at all. We want to get to the table. So, Anthony, this past year, what's been your top acquisition disorder? All right. So I I had a hard time choosing between two on this one because the first one, and the one, like, this is my official one, I guess, if we're going to call it that, (laughs) um, is the War of the Ring, the card game. Sure. Right. This was on our most anticipated games of 2022 back on episode 359 uh, in early January because there were rumors of it. It hadn't been officially announced yet. We didn't know anything about it. There was like a hint of it on a graphic that they had posted somewhere. And so it was it was very exciting because War of the Ring is my number one game of all time. It has been since episode 100. So going on like eight years now, it's been my favorite game. And them saying we're gonna make a smaller version we're gonna make a more accessible version we're gonna make a version that plays well with two or four players like actually not like the base game which really is just a two-player game um very very exciting for me and it's really hard to say that's not my most anticipated game of the year because it 100 is uh we've talked about this game quite 
extensively at this point. Um, if you want to listen to my full acquisition disorder segment, it was on episode 378. Uh, the rule book recently dropped. The game should be releasing around Essen, hopefully in the US. We get it in like November. Um, this is a game that we were just talking about this before we started recording the podcast of how do we get this to the table as quickly as possible? Because the ideal way to play it seems to be with four players. So you need to have four players who understand the basic idea of War of the Ring, who've played the base game and have the time to invest into this game to go through the whole trilogy scenario. Uh, and it's honestly, it's on my to-do list to figure out, to find the people to do this. That's That doesn't happen very often. I'm like, I have to get this game played. It's that important. I'm very excited about it. The other game, though, that I wanted to mention, um, because again, War of the Ring, the card game, probably my most anticipated game in the last like three or four years at this point. But the <laughs> other game, and the reason I'm mentioning this one is because I have mentioned it on three, maybe four episodes in separate acquisition disorder style segments is that stupid castles of Burgundy <laughs> special yeah. edition Kickstarter. I, so I talked about this initially on episode. We did mention it early in the year when it was like a hint, but I talked about it on 370 when they put up the preview. I talked about it on episode 376 when they actually posted the project. And then we talked about it again a little bit later, just when it published and like, are we going to back the miniatures? Cause that's another $150. Um, the answer to that was no, by the way, if you, if you don't want to look back at that, but <laughs> this, and this one is like the quintessential, representation of what an acquisition disorder is right war of the ring the card game is i really want this game because it sounds amazing this like this would be really cool to me and you know it's just like an anticipated game right castles of burgundy the special edition is i don't need this i already own everything in here but i want to buy it anyways because it's a prettier version of what i already have right <laughs> So, and and I ended up backing it. Like I talked myself into it over the course of the three, four weeks that were in between those two episodes. So it's, you know, Awakened Realms. We have these big, ridiculous castle miniatures. It's uh, beautiful artwork, fantastic upgrades pretty much across the board. You get uh, dozens of unique boards in the box in terms of the castles and all the different possible mats. Like, if you were going to upgrade Castles of Burgundy and put everything you could possibly put into a box, this is it. And yet, I still know that it's kind of silly to buy it because I already own two copies of this game and all the bonus expansion stuff for it. It's crazy. Um, you know, I'm getting one new expansion, I think, here with Vineyards and I'm paying whatever I'm paying for this. So that is the quintessential acquisition disorder. And you know what, though? I'm still very excited for this game to come. So uh, that is the nature of that segment. Uh, if you want the most anticipated game of the year, it's War of the Ring, the card game. If you want the game I talked about the most, whether to talk myself into it or out of it, it's Castles of Burgundy Special Edition. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's honestly the split in board gaming right now with the, again, and I don't, and I don't mean anything bad about this, the overproduction of a, of a classic game that you probably own one or more copies of and all of the stuff, but like somehow they were like, yeah, you own this, but we're going to make this so good. 
and give you a little bit more that you're actually going to pay for it again and pay more. And then the other side is like, hey, this is something that, you know, is new and innovative in a way that you did not expect. So I love to see that. That's fantastic. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the, the game that this was like anything you mentioned this before, this was really hard. I wish I didn't, you know, cut it down to one game because there, there was so many interesting concepts this year, especially on the crowdfunding sites, because I think one of the things we should probably mention, too, is Kickstarter has been for almost the length of this podcast, nine years the kind of major influencer for these kind of acquisition disorders because until, I mean, Kickstarter has been around for quite some time, but obviously now it's the thing that generates the most kind of, I guess, acquisition disorder, right? Like you watch all the marketing, you, you read all the stuff, you see all the promo videos and stuff like that. And you're like, I just, it, it does everything that it needs to do to get that stuff to the table without an actual gameplay. You really would like a gameplay, you would really like a independent review, of course, but as far as just like attention grabbing situations, Kickstarter and now GameFound and I guess Indiegogo is still around on on some level. So, what they do best is bring innovative stuff to the table. Hegemony was a game that I was not expecting, and, and again, this goes back to episode three fifty two. Hegemony leads your class to victory. So. We have played so many board games at this point that honestly, it's really hard to surprise us with something new and different that really draws our attention. And this Kickstarter that I did back, I ended up backing it, was something that really did surprise me because I was always looking for a game that had replayability in a meaningful way. So it wasn't just like, hey, now, instead of getting a plus one to your, you know, your punch attacks, you get plus two to your kick attacks. Like, uh, right. <laughs> you want to have a game that actually does have different actions and circumstances and different outcomes. One of the, my favorite games is Shipyard. And Vladimir Succi is such a genius because he does this in so many of his games where you score, you choose your final goals and your final goals are based upon the choices that you make throughout the game. So when Hegemony came along and this was all about all of the different class structures and challenges and benefits that come into play. This is not a one class is better than the other, but this is the working class, the capitalist class, the middle class and the state and how they interact together. So you have this epic game situation that does connect in a real world way but also includes the fact that all of these different factions these different classes are interacting together so when you do one thing it triggers everything else and you it, it has that interplay that is cooperative in in a sense but it's combative in another sense and not in a cheap kind of way. So it reminds me of Feudum in a way where you control the different guilds and based on what you do with your guild, it spills over to the other guilds. So that was a lot of fun. Hegemony does this here. And depending on the class that you play, you have different cards set up, you have different resources, you have different outcomes that you need to kind of manage. The game is absolutely gorgeous for something that should not be this gorgeous, right? The... The artwork here, the gameplay here, 
the epic nature of the game, and honestly, the very cheap price here. It was only $68 for this game. And when you take a look at it, it, it's such high quality. Then they went one step further, which really brought it up a level for me, which they brought in an education booklet that they added free to every game pack. So you didn't have to pay extra. You didn't have to pay some additional weird kind of like add-on thing. If you wanted to understand from a political science point of view how all these societal forces come into play and what roles they have, and if you want to teach this to class of students or to your family or to your game group, or you just wanted to learn a little more of the background, great, you can do that. And it's not this dry political science boring kind of things because you are emotionally connected to the different classes that you come into play with. And each of them play differently, but they play collaboratively in that kind of interactive way. Just And again, a lot of fun. And I was just, I'm kind of been blown away by this campaign. It's supposed to produce, fingers crossed, in a very short amount of time, which is also pretty fantastic, this year. So for November 2022, we should have this game. Looks great. Looks like an epic game in like the Twilight Imperium kind of version of an epic game but it does have like real world kind of connections and consequences. So a lot of fun there. Hegemony. Yeah, I was, I'm super excited about this too. Like you, you brought it up. I didn't see it at first, but uh, everything it's trying to do, everything it's talking about, everything it proposes from a gameplay and content perspective sounds really fascinating and unique in a way that not a lot of other games have been able to do. Like some games scratch the surface of some of these ideas and themes, but they don't really delve into them in a way that's still fun to play. So yes. I'm really excited for this to come out. Yeah, and I think the fun factor is going to be really high on this when we get it to the table. It's not going to be a dry kind of Euro. So right. really looking forward to it. All right, Anthony. So again, as always, and everyone knows, once we, we get off our chest all the acquisition stuff that we want to get to the table, now, of course, it's the games that we do get to the table whether we love the game so much that we recommend people buy that game, we typically buy them ourselves, don't tell anybody, or <laughs> if those games are something you should sit down and play. Because I know that oftentimes you go to a game group or somebody says, hey, what do you want to play based on their you know, their library? And it's that situation where you have a limited amount of time, so you got to make your choices. We let you know if those games are worth the play. Maybe those games are worth the play and you'll run out and buy those. But we guarantee when we talk about the games being a play, you should sit down and play those games. They are worth your time. Or if the game's a dodge, right? There are some good games out there that maybe if you have the ideal game group, go for it. But more times than not, if you only have a couple of hours a week to get some games to the table, maybe you want to dodge this, go out all over to some other table that's playing a different game. Or if those games are dreaded burn... And they're just broken. Some games are honestly just broken and sad, but it does happen. Or maybe there's just something just just fundamentally doesn't work about the game, whether it's theme or mechanics or just gameplay, just something that does not, not at all deserve your time. So just run the opposite direction when you do that. So Anthony, any good games this year at the table? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my game of the year overall and just going back the full 365 still game of the year not just for 2021 is cascadia um this was episode 342 when i reviewed this so way back last year september i think uh maybe october and this is a game that was on kickstarter originally 
Um, this was a follow-up to Calico, which a lot of people really liked. I had never played. And I I didn't back it at the time because it just, I don't know, there's so much content on Kickstarter at any given point. It's really easy to miss stuff. So it slipped by, I don't even know if we covered it, really. So uh, Randy Flynn, great designer. Beth Sobel, great artist. Flat Out Games, great publisher. But none of those things really con- you know congealed for me. So I ended up picking this up after the fact when I saw the cover and I'm like, oh, that looks like home, right? <laughs> like I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I'm from Seattle. It's where I was born. I spent most of my time there until I was about 23, 24. And, and so the cover really caught my eye. And so I'm like, I'm going to pick this up. It was relatively inexpensive. I got, you know, I think I got a Kickstarter version of the game, which just had some promos in the box. Um, and it it really, really, really like immediately clicked with me. Like the first play, I was like, oh, this is great. And I couldn't even, if you go back and listen to that review, I couldn't really fully articulate what it is about this game that's different than every other game with similar mechanics. It's not doing anything mind-blowingly new, right? Now, again, this game won the, the Spill the Yard this year, so... It's obviously doing a lot of interesting things. Like people really like the game and it works really well, but it's just the streamlined nature, the balance between the different scoring mechanisms, the very pleasing nature with which you build out your tableau by always placing down a tile as well as uh, an animal token. So you're always building on it. You're never taking an action that couldn't generate points for you. Do something interesting. Um, it's very scalable. Like my children can play this just building out their own tableaus or I can play this solo or with other gamers. And it's much more complex. as We try to maximize possible points. Um, it's, it's jumped up. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Now it's in my top 20. Uh, and you know, other people have definitely latched onto it as well, obviously with all the awards, but it's listed number one now in abstract on board game geek and up to 63 overall. So it's in the top 100. And so like when I initially played this a year ago, none of this was in mind. It wasn't like a game that I thought was going to be a big hit. It was just, Oh, it's a cute theme. I like abstract games. I want to give it a go. And it was just completely blown away. And I, I remember doing that review. I mean, like y'all have to play this It's an automatic buy have to buy this game. And I kept hitting on it and I kept hitting on it. And I'm glad I don't think that I necessarily (laughs) caused any of the, uh, you know, the the success of this game. But if there's anybody out there who picked this up because I I harped on it about it so much, um, I hope you enjoyed it because Cascadia now one of my favorite games and it came out in the last year. Just, you know, despite me saying earlier, not a super strong year for games. This is a a fantastic uh, exception to that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know what's so surprising about the game too is as you mentioned it could clearly especially in this day and age where there's so many board games out there this game it doesn't have like you look at the cover it, it there's nothing explosive about it there's nothing in the game components that that's revolutionary it's not some like really weird you know dice tower or something or it has like these plastic crystals or it's a space theme or it's something from like the 17th century. Like it doesn't have any of the trappings that you think would draw the attention that it, it it should beyond the fact of it's just mechanically an outstanding game with a theme 
that's evocative enough and interesting enough, especially in this day and age of conservation and everything else, that somehow it draw an audience and receive that con- those level of accolades. And like you said, you've been promoting this game since day one. And again, it was not on my radar at all. This was just another generic kind of small box Euro game that might as well just been with everybody else. And I'm just so wonderfully glad that you got this to the table and it's got the attention because again, I'm going to be honest, I would never look twice at this. It just, it would just, oh, that's another yet abstract game. Like yeah. it's just another generic game. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I did the same thing, obviously. Like when it first came out, I just, it, none of it clicked through and I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad the theme was something that really caught my attention and it's really caused me to like, pay more attention to games as they pop up, especially the smaller ones, just to make sure it's not something I'm missing. Yeah, no, I think that's what we do best because I think the small games need that level of attention. And the industry has been talking about this for quite some time, that a game only has a six-month shelf life. So if the game doesn't hit with people or get in people's hands right away or get positive independent reviews, then you know it's just going to get left in the dust. And then at that point, it's it's so past its prime you're not going to see copies have come out even if people rediscover it right so wonderful on the opposite side of that <laughs> <laughs> the complete opposite the the utter utter complete opposite it's a game that is like super ip it's a game from a company that just they just exist to produce miniatures so that you spend endless amounts of money on a game it's a game that is just, it's Kickstarter ready in every, every, every way. I want to say that I promoted this and kind of brought attention to this, like like you did for Cascadia, but no, nah, that's that's not a thing. Every, everyone knew about this. I mean, obviously, I feel like having looked at the reviews and the previews out there, I think I have by far more love for the IP than anybody else there reviewing the game, and I will... I will go to the mat with you any day of the week with this. This is Marvel United X-Men. Now, X-Men has been an IP that's been around for quite some time. It's been a comic book, obviously, since way back in the day. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, the cartoon, everything like that. So I backed Marvel United because, obviously, all the miniatures. And again, this endless crazy quest to get family to play board games that I quasi like, even if they're on the lighter side. I picked that up. Honestly, it's fine. It's just fine. But X-Men United was something that was my childhood, was the comic book collection that really kind of got me going. And I had hoped that purchasing this at a relatively expensive price, I think it was about $300, was not insanely crazy. Because again, what is it? It's a bunch of miniatures and it's a gateway game. And I already own a version of this. So why would I do that? This was purely my childhood. This was purely wanting to collect all of the plastic little toys that I never got a chance to do as a kid. Totally owning up to that. That being said, the expansion packs offer different scenarios And Marvel X-Men United offers other ways to play with the characters. So you do have the typical co-op, but you do have team versus team. You have 
one versus many. You have villains playing as anti-heroes, so you can actually play them in the game. There, the, the expansions themselves have a lot of different gameplay options in there. Obviously, there's some really cool stuff, like the Sentinels are actually these huge miniatures. You got the Fantastic Four in this, this collection. And again, from somebody who knows all of these characters, I actually see just enough. It's not as much as I want, but just enough of the unique game powers of those characters that I actually feel like I'm actually playing in a team that does have that particular character in play. So the gameplay is above and beyond just a childhood fantasy of playing with toys at the table. It actually does have some unique gameplay. The expansions do play differently, different scenarios, different setups, different actions. There's even additional cards where you can kind of really deck build a little bit and just build your character up. Solo mode's great. The mat really plays into the game. And again, it does connect back to the other, you know, Marvel United, so you can play with those characters there. So this surprising, clearly childhood grasp was actually a good game. And I'm actually happy to own it and really going through the expansions and all the different characters and mixing and matching. So Marvel United X-Men, if you haven't gotten a chance to play it, pick up, you know, the... I guess now the very cheap version of some of the expansions or the base set because it is a good game. It is solidly, surprisingly enough, a good game above and beyond the childhood memories there. Yeah, like th- this is a good a good example because I didn't back this because I didn't recognize 80% of the characters because I'm not a big X-Men person. But some of the scenarios, because when I visited you last, we played... I think like eight or nine times we played mm-hmm. through yeah. days of future past multiple times losing mm-hmm. every time um, we played through fantastic four, both versions. And it was really, really fun. And like, I was like, Oh man, I really wish I'd backed some of this. Not all of it. Cause I don't, again, I don't know all of the stuff, but some of the elements were like really, really interesting. And honestly, it, it just did that thing for me that a lot of Kickstarters do when I encounter the content that I missed out on where I'm like, man, Kickstarter sucks, <laughs> uh, but it's it is still very good, and I do appreciate it. It made me come home and pull out my own Marvel United stuff from the first set. I started painting some of them to get it out to play. I'm gonna try to play with the kids. So it's a good game and a good system, and all the different scenarios are really fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's better than it needed to be, and I right. appreciate that because <laughs> yes. again, they they could just been like, "Hey, kids." toys and i'm like yeah all right yeah, yeah. All right, you got money so, <laughs> or or again like hey kids you know you already own this or like you're not gonna buy another version of this i'm like yeah i'm gonna like yeah see mine you, you know what you're doing to us all out there but it's actually a good game surprisingly enough so anthony obviously once we get off our chest all the acquisition disorders once we talk about all the games we get to the table then comes the feature reviews I would say for the last nine years, our feature reviews is really the things that I'm most proud of. I mean, you hear other reviews and again, take it, take everything what we say and what everyone says with a grain of salt. Obviously, everyone talks about previews of games, but I think our feature reviews have consistently been what and where we stand out you know, against oral colleagues. While everyone has interesting discussions, we've done, I think, the gambit. I mean, after nine years, and I think the one thing 
that Anthony, you and I have tried to do over the years, which is very difficult and you don't know how difficult it is until you do nine years of episodes is we try to make each of those feature episodes unique. So yes, we do our top 100 every year and our listener feedback and stuff like that. But, you know, I think we've gone to the point where it's just not a feature game. We really try to get into like the nuance of what the gameplay's like. We get into the theme, we get into the social impact, we get into the mechanics, we get into the game group fun. We, we compare and contrast. We really try to think about gaming at a deeper level and really try to grapple with what it all means. So feature reviews, my friend, right? We've come a far away from like, hey, it's a feature game of the week, right? It's been a very, very long time yes. uh, since we did that. We did one, I think, in the last year that could border on that. We did like an Ankh versus Kemet episode. Sure. And even that, we really weren't focused. We, when we talked about the games and how they played, obviously, but we talked also a lot about like kind of the meta commentary around choosing between the buy. Um, so yeah, like I love the feature part. That's like that's the most fun part in prepping the episode every week. Is what's something fun to talk about based on recent gaming events or interests or discussions, but also unique, right? We've I don't think we've ever gone back to an old topic and kind of rehashed it. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. you know what? We did this four years ago. Let's do it again now because it's more fun to just come up with something different or spin on something like, Oh, we did co-op games before. Well, why don't we do co-op games for families or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Um, So, so yeah, like I really, really, really enjoy doing the features myself as well. Um, We had a couple, I mean, we had a bunch of new stuff this year that we kind of touched on. And I was going to talk about, and I still will, uh, a pair of episodes we did back in March that I thought were a lot of fun and that we got a lot of good feedback on. Um, but before we get to that, I kind of wanted to, you know, spotlight the book to board mm-hmm. episodes that we started doing in the last oh, year. Because yeah. these were a lot of fun. Like, this yes. is the most fun I've had, like, researching episodes in a while for, for a lot of reasons. One, because you really narrow down to a certain theme. And two, because you like start pulling up games that you either don't remember or just have never played or and then you want to look them up because they're out of print. And you're like, oh, what game is this? Um, you know, like we did book to board Lord of the Rings back in January, knowing that this year would be a big Lord of the Rings year with mm-hmm. possibly a new game coming out with a new show coming out in September. Um, and it was a lot of fun because you have the big stuff that you know, like War of the Ring and the card game and Battle of Five Armies, but then you kind of delve in and you're like, okay, the original 1977 War of the Ring and the 2000 Knizia Lord of the, Lord of the Rings board game, <laughs> strategy battle game, right? Like all this stuff that you don't think about, but it's still out there and people really enjoy. So it was really fun to delve into. So we did that. We did Batman. We did Dune uh, last fall. Uh, and those are fun. I look forward to doing more of those in the future as we kind of yeah, more media kind of comes into board games. And I think it's fascinating too, because I think board games gives you an opportunity. And obviously this has been a lot of work with your classes that board games, a text, right? It's, it's an experience and it can be like that hermeneutical circle where you play a board game, you learn about something, you learn about yourself the next time with the theme and the mechanics, you come back and you're just like, you think of it differently and having an opportunity or having that kind of IP that is connect to this 
amazing universe of books and comics and graphic novels and all the other kind of things that they are connected to it, it's fascinating that it comes from a larger world that you can kind of envelop yourself in. 100%. Yeah. Like, because when you think about this idea of an IP or a media base, right, with this core idea that comes out of George Lucas or Tolkien Mm -hmm. or whoever. And then Campbell, Joseph Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Very quickly, those ideas, they legally belong to those people, but they Mm -hmm. really don't anymore. Right. Within five to 10 years, those ideas belong to all of us. We all get to explore those ideas. We all get to like put our mark on them. Like you look at Shakespeare, Shakespeare is Shakespeare, but people make, all these different interpretations of what Shakespeare is, you know, and have been for hundreds of years. And that's what's so cool about board games is when you get that license, even if you're working with, you know, the Tolkien estate uh, or George Lucas or Disney, I guess now, (laughs) well, you're able to explore new ideas and kind of expand on it in different ways, mechanically, even if not with content and narrative that you can't do in other forms of media. And that's what's so cool about board games you have this very mutable, you know, fungible thing that you can play with and work with. It's like a it's like a ball of clay, right? And that ball of clay has to stay the same color, right? And has to stay within this certain box that it's been built into, but you can shape it into whatever you want. And that's a really, really cool thing about board games. So when we talk about like taking a book and interpreting it as a game, there's so many different ways to do that. And it's it's a lot of fun, which I think is why a game like War of the Ring is my favorite game um, because it does that and it captures what makes those books so amazing. But it's also a game and it's not always the same. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fine mention, obviously, as one of the new features that we've added to our repertoire here. So, Anthony, what what do you... Uh, you know, let me, let me, let me kind of drop one here too because, again, like there's so many great things out there which one to start first? I guess one of the things is probably the most controversial one theme that I've thought about and we've we've talked about is what exactly is a gateway game? Mm. And this is something that we've dealt with for the past nine years of doing events and programs with every type of group and population you can possibly imagine because we want to get people into board gaming and our concept as gamers, as podcasters, as reviewers, as people who have like enormous collections, what a gateway game is for us is clearly, clearly not what a gateway game is for the vast population of the planet, right? <laughs> and that's kind of hard to wrap your brain around because you're like, but it's a simple game. It only has like four different mechanics and, you know, 12 moving parts to it. And for the outside person who hasn't played anything heavier than a Monopoly or an Uno, the cognitive load is dramatic. So the concept and the thought and the idea and the experience that I've had, in fact, of actually getting games to the table in a meaningful way beyond party games. Because party games, I think, understands that people can really only do one thing. But if you're not going to do that one thing with a party game, probably the episode you might want to take a look back at one of the feature reviews that I, I really thought was different controversial a little bit away was episode 374 which was the new gateway games children games and 
again, it seems ridiculous and silly that you would add some of these games to your collection or bring some of those games to game night. But in fact, it's a list of games that seems kiddie at start, but if you want to have fun with friends at the table and you just don't want the, the random party game where you're just guessing a word, but you actually want to get a game to the table, a game game to the table, children's games can, in fact, and when I talk about children's games, I'm not talking about Monopoly or Candyland. I'm talking about gamer-level kids' games, which I really do feel nine times out of ten are the appropriate gateway, gateway games for gamers to bring out to the public. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, and this episode kind of came about, like, you and I both were talking about this, of, like, where is the line? What can kid, you know, students, you know, working at universities, what can they handle? What can children handle? What can non-gamers handle? And kind of, like, the consensus between us was, yeah, children's games that are designed to be fun for children and adults alike, not just, like, teaching basic math skills or something, those tend, those are often the best games to introduce people first it, because they boil things down to a single mechanic or a sure. single set of mechanics and they're still fun and they're still accessible, but they're not asking so much of someone that they get overwhelmed or frustrated or even bored sometimes when they check out mentally. So this was a fun <laughs> episode, not just like, cause it's not the best children's games necessarily. No, the best games designed originally for children that work to introduce new gamers. I think it's, it's a really fine line, but like, honestly, if you're listening to this and there's people you want to introduce to games, definitely go back to episode 374. Cause I think this is like a really, really good place to start. Yeah. And I think that introduction to your hobby, your social engagement needs to be at a level that they, they do feel comfortable engaging with. So it might be the most fun game in the world or your favorite game in the world or what you think is a gateway game or something at that level. But it's got to be a game where they feel comfortable in getting involved in your social activity. And once you've got them in that, then you can kind of scaffold and build in other mechanics and games that really feel like more adult. But again, these children's games are not games for children. They're games that you know, provide a single or one or two simplistic mechanics that get people playing. And I'll, you know, when I look back at the pictures on my phone over the years, and you know, when you go to game night and it's like a game night, maybe last four or five, six hours long, you do see the, these games getting to the table. These are our level of hobby games. These are companies and designers that we respect for their work. And it's fun games for people at the table. You have adults playing these games. And again, listen back to that episode because I think you'll get some good suggestions about getting games to the table that people will actually sit down and play. Yep. All right, Anthony, what else do you have for us? All right, yeah. So the the other, I guess, pair of episodes, it was two episodes that we did back in March, um, episode 368 and 369 was our Kickstarter top 10 losses and Kickstarter top 10 wins. And this was fun for a couple reasons. Uh, <laughs> one, it was very cathartic to go back through and look at not just the games that frustrated us or that we missed out on, but the ones we're really happy that we got in on 
you know, after the fact. Right. And that I think it's easy to go one way or the other where you kind of really Homer for one type of game. You're like, this game's amazing just because you paid money for it or like really get grouchy about another game because you didn't back it. And now you're never going to get that <laughs> content. Yes. Um, but there's a multiple different reasons why you might like or dislike or be in on or out on a game. Um, like the top 10 losses, I think you, you and I both told slightly different takes on this, but a lot of the games ended up being things like we missed out on this. I wish I had backed this. Right. And I, I didn't, and now I can't get it. Yes. Uh, my end of things, I had a bunch of stuff where I was like, man, I wish I hadn't backed this because now I have it and I don't know what to do with it. Right. <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. Whereas on the win side of things on my end, it was a lot of like, Oh, I discovered this game here. I don't think I ever would have found it otherwise. Or I backed this game really early. I got an early copy of it for much cheaper than everybody else. Like I was on the original Gloomhaven Kickstarter. So I got the game for like half the cost that most people paid for it. Uh, stuff like that. Right. And so it's kind of interesting to see like the push and pull, the reflection of it going back through again, almost nine years of data now, like Kickstarter backing and say like, this was a good decision. This was a bad decision. This sure. is something I was glad I did. This is something that I wish I hadn't done man, I really have to stop backing stuff like this. <laughs> and it's the kind of episodes that we could not have done f five years ago, maybe, or even three years ago. Cause I don't think we had the perspective yet to look back on all those things. Like we're still on that point of, I don't know. I might get around to playing Feudum. I might get around mm -hmm. to playing vast or Batman Gotham city Chronicles. <laughs> Whereas now in 2022, I can look at those and be like, I'm never going to play these. Why did I pay for them? You know, <laughs> uh, So it's fun. Like it's, you know, a little more frivolous. These episodes were definitely more catharsis and, and fun discussion, but that can be really interesting, especially looking at so much data over the course of almost a decade. And I, I think, as you said, Anthony, I think it's interesting. What is a win and loss, right? right. So a win is sometimes you got the game at a good value. You got the game early. You got the game and you bat, you, you help somebody, you know, designer or a publisher out. But sometimes the win is you didn't back a game. You didn't spend all that money. Right. The game turned out to be bad or turned out to be expensive or never showed up. And then the same thing with the loss, right? Sometimes a loss is you didn't back the game. It turns out to be amazing. And sometimes the loss is you did back the game. It turns out to be terrible or you just like, you never got it to the table. And I think, when it comes to Kickstarter and these crowdfunding sources, we talked about this earlier with the acquisition disorder. There's so much FOMO. There's so much marketing. There's so much glitz and glamour. There's so many, and I'll just say it sometimes, there's just so many lies out there, right? There's so much like, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. Look how great the miniatures are. Look how, and it's just, it's so hard to cut through all of that or just even to remember that all of that is somewhat involved. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a good game, but there's just so much information about there out there about that that's not practical at all because nobody has a finished copy in their hand, not even the previewers. So I don't know. And then, like you said, you get the games out to the table and then there's a whole other dynamic there. And then there's the people like us, but everybody out there, you back a game, you dropped X number of dollars for so many years you almost like convince yourself that it's got to be better than it is, right? It needs to be better than it is because you spent all this money and all this time on it. 
And it was an investment, right? You're you're back in a game sometimes one, two, three, four, X number of year in advance. You're overpaying for things that you normally would not overpay for. You're paying for shipping, which you don't normally pay for. So whew, it, it, it's a thing. It's catharsis, and hopefully it's informative for everyone out there because there are different reasons why something's a win and a loss. It's not just always the things you think it would be. Sometimes it's random giant box that you love the game so much, and it, and it, but it turns out the box is so gigantically big, you can't bring it to game night. And you can't put it on your shelf. So (laughs) who knew that was a thing, right? Like be careful what you wish for because you get it now. And now you don't get to play it for some reason. It's, it's a monkey paws kind of thing. Ah, So very true. One of the things, and again, this is another interesting thing about the hobby. It's episode 365. This was the day that game died for me. Hmm. This was a, a thought and a concept and a feature I've had in the back of my head for quite some time because I think, Anthony, one of the interesting things, and we could talk about this now in nine years of doing board gaming, when we talk about acquisition disorders, that was a real thing, right? We, we became completionists. We had to own every promo. We had to own every expansion, even sometimes personally before you even, you even played the base game, right? You had to own all of those things. And you became connected to certain games because of the experiences or became a lifetime hobby or because you invested so much into it. And it seemed impossible because you purchase these games based on replayability and everything that these games would always be a part of your gaming life on some level or the other. And especially as these games continued to produce more expansions and promos and I guess, you know, reboots of them that you would just never stop, right? Like you had to own it all. You had to be a completionist or you had to keep playing it. And the idea is that after nine years, certain games not just lose luster, but you're just done with. And it's not always a bad thing. Maybe it, it just mentally, it just wrapped up in your head or you lost a group or maybe it's just too much of a thing to purchase all of it, even though you still want to. And I think, again, that's another concept that we generally don't think about board gaming when you're done with a board game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's it's an interesting idea because I think a lot of the times when we get to this point of a game being dead, like the language ends up being very, I don't know, inflammatory. We've done this before, like this game killed this game or, the, the you know, I hate this game now or whatever it might be. But it's not always that, right? There's a lot of factors that kind of go into our relationships with games, game systems, game series. And so it's it's interesting to kind of explore that from a non-confrontational kind of way. <laughs> like, not, not that we necessarily need to avoid negativity, but just thinking about it in a way that is constructive. Like, why is this game dead? Well, that tells me this about myself as a gamer, and therefore maybe I should look for this kind of game now, right? Uh, it's reflective in a way that... Um, the hobby doesn't necessarily always support <laughs> like sure. new thing, new thing, new thing, new thing. Uh, reflection is hard to find time. For, so. <laughs> no time for reflection kids buy the next thing, right? Yeah. yeah there's 4,000 <laughs> new games a year. You don't have time to think about what you played last week. <laughs> like, True. It's yeah. Ch- chasing the dragon a little bit there. So yeah, I thought, I thought that was something that was interesting and why and how some of those games ended up there. And again, honestly, 
I mean, we, we joke around and I think it's, it's just the common thing in the hobby to talk about your shelf of shame or your, you know, if you want to be positive about it, your shelf of opportunity. Mm. But I think it's harder to talk about, like, I have a collection of X that I just don't play anymore, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's a miniature game or every, I guess, every board and every extra promo to castles of Burgundy that were out there at one point, And you're like, and now this is a beautiful version. Oh, I, I feel like I got to stop at this point. So yeah, I think these are really good discussions and we really appreciate you joining us at the table each and every week to talk about these and give us your feedback on emails or on all those different apps that are out there. Or again, our question of the week, and just hitting up us on you know Facebook. I think over time that's been some of the fun, the, the most fun interactions that we've had, is when individuals reach out to us after an episode and we get to talk more about the fun stuff. So yes, thank you again for all that great stuff. So Anthony, my friend, after nine years, this is Chris, and this is Anthony, and we are so glad that after nine years you've joined us at the table. Take care, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye. See ya.